know. It's kind of like the theme. Yeah, give it a hand. Whoever wrote that, great job. It's kind of like the theme of Acts that we're going through right now. Stated many times. Paul has stated it in Ephesians. Again, in Corinthians, Jesus Christ, the head of the body of Christ. Everybody else, servants of Jesus Christ and servants of each other. So are you a cruise ship Christian or a battleship Christian? Satan says our enemy, or the Lord says Satan, our enemy, is like a roaring lion. He's just walking around, finding out who he can devour. All right. Joe is, as you know, very laid back. He's just a nice guy. I walk through the halls all the time, and people are saying, you know, our pastor is so nice. Cool is a word they use, <laughs> laid back. And so he asked me to make this announcement. Seems like everybody's got their favorite seat here. And so we're going to offer this uh, to you. We will put your name on the seat where you are if you will recruit 200 other people <laughs> to come and sit in these other seats that aren't filled up. Can you do that? Huh? You know, all it takes is for one of you to bring one with you, and you've done it. All right? Speaking of Joe being cool, there's another side to him. As he said last week, he and I do a lot of traveling together, and we were on a plane. I think we were in Germany. We were in our seats. Joe books nothing but the best seats. We were in the back of the plane. <laughs> That's close to coffee and the bathroom. That's two things you need on an eight-hour trip. And all of a sudden, the announcement came up and said, everybody get off the plane. This flight's been canceled. And so everybody got off the plane. By the time we got off the plane, there was a huge line at the gate, people trying to reroute, go somewhere. We're standing there. Joe said, hey, you just come with me. And so we walked up the front. Joe took his ticket, laid it down on the desk, looked at the lady and said, I need a new, I need a flight right now. The lady said, sir, there's a long line. You need to get in the back of the line and I'll help you when you get here. And he said, I need a flight right now. I'm on a schedule. And the lady said, I'm sorry, sir. You'll have to get in the line. There's nothing I can do. Joe looked at her and said, do you know who I am? The lady very calmly picked up a microphone and said, ladies and gentlemen, we have a, a man at gate 14 who doesn't know who he is. <laughs> Anyone that can identify him, please step forward. <laughs> I stepped forward, identified him, and we went to the back of the line. <laughs> this morning I want to talk to you about falling asleep at the wheel. Now, that may be strange. We're in a book of Exodus. Exodus means departure. And towards, if you will not go to sleep, uh, towards the end of the message, we're going to look at how that departure and Moses plays a part in this week of passion. Uh, the text I'm going to read this morning comes from Matthew 17. I'm going to read two of them. Actually, three books of the Bible record this same event. We're going to use two now, one later. And Matthew 17, 1 says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him them, and his face shone like the sun, 
and his clothes became white as light. This transfiguration, uh, Jesus fully glorified. I mean, I want you to, I want you to think about all of a sudden a man that you've walked with, you know, no doubt Jesus' clothes had a lot of dust on him. His, his sandals were worn, but here, uh, he just shone and said, behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, that's what that says in Matthew. Go to Mark, passage in Mark. Let's look at Mark. Here we go. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Okay. He was transfigured before them. Again, Elijah and Moses were talking. With Jesus. Now think about this. Peter and John recognized who Elijah and Moses were. Now Elijah and Moses are two of three men that had some extraordinary exodus or leaving of this world. The first is recorded in Genesis chapter 5. He, this man is the answer to this question. He's, who is the oldest man in the world, but he died before his father. You know who the oldest man in the world was? Methuselah. But he died before his father. How did he do that? Well, his father's name was Enoch. In the chapter 5 of Genesis, it's recorded, Enoch walked with God. Now, not a lot is said about Enoch, but just that statement, Enoch walked with God And he was not because God took him. Now, I heard years ago a pastor say this. It's like Enoch met God every day. Poverty every morning. Cup of coffee and they went walking. Every day Enoch walked with God. One day, God turned around to Enoch and said, You know, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. Why don't you just come on home with me? And Enoch went on wherever God took him. Elijah, boy, what a what an exodus from this world. A chariot coming down and taking him like a whirlwind right out of this world. Well, Moses had a, a similar occurrence. In Deuteronomy 34, 17, we find these words. Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Mount Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. If you've ever been there in Jordan, you can just see on a good clear day, you see right in into Jerusalem. You see the plains of Jericho. It's very plain. And said, the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and the plant in Manassas, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. And, and the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, 
died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he, the Lord, buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Two men who was and then wasn't. And now they appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, Mark will tell you that they were talking. A little later on when we read the Luke passage, you'll find out what they were talking about. But what, what we see here is, and we're going we're gonna to center on Moses because we are in Exodus. Moses was just an extraordinary man. In fact, when you look through the New Testament, his mention is only second to Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, you find that over 79 times that Moses is quoted or referred to. I don't have all 79 because y'all have lunch waiting. But I do have these. Michael, let's start putting them up. Luke 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But, but him they did not see. Now, this, these are the men who are actually walking with Jesus back to Emmaus. And, and they were telling Jesus about the occurrences. And they did not recognize that Jesus was with them. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Beginning with Moses. John chapter 3, we find these words. No one has ascended to the heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is in Jesus' conversation to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus asked the question, how can a man be born again? Does he enter into his mother's womb? Again, Jesus himself references Moses. John chapter 9. To set this up, there was a blind man that was healed by Jesus. And as usual, the Pharisees, you know, they, they tried to deny. They tried to discourage. Credit. They've called in people to lie about Jesus. It just infuriated them that they could never get the best of Jesus. Now, Jesus heals a blind man. Everybody knew he was blind, blind from birth. But all of a sudden, he comes into the temple and he sees. Now, these Pharisees, they just go crazy. And they began to question him over and over and over again. And he answered them and said, I've told you already. You would not listen to me. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now, now get this. In Scripture, there are times that are just, well, they're just funny. Now, this is an uneducated blind man that for the first time saw things, and he is up against the greatest minds of Judaism. They know every jot and tittle of the law and they're questioning him. And he's trying to wonder, think about this. He's wondering, why are you wondering? 
This man restored my sight. So he just says to them, do you want to be one of his disciples? (laughs) Here's their answer. They said to him, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. You see, when Moses was quoted to the Jewish leaders, they either, they, they identified Moses as the authority of the law. And in fact, on that Mount of Transfiguration in Elijah and Moses, you had the law and the prophets represented, all who foretold the one that was standing there, Jesus. Look at this passage, Acts chapter 3. Peter, in one of his message, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. In uh, Acts chapter 15, Peter again is speaking to the Jerusalem council. He's saying, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. This is what the Hebrew writer had to say about him. Who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Uh, Jude 1, 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. You all know about his, Moses, his birth. Born, beautiful child, a child God would use to deliver his people from captivity, hidden in the bulrushes. Moses, this mighty man of God, who God himself, when he died, buried him somewhere. And no one, as the scriptures record, has found it until this day. But here we find in scripture The devil was trying to find the body of Moses. You know, that he he could bring Moses back. He could dispute him if he wanted to, but he couldn't. And the power the archangel had was the power of God when he said, The Lord rebuke you. Now I want to give us two lessons today. Uh, I remember when I was in school, if they gave me more than two things to remember, I had a hard time. Out of this passage, we're going to look at two things. Number one, we're going to look at the resurrection. I found this quote, and I want to read it to you. I don't often read a a long quote like this, but this, this is a great quote. Our Lord's cross is the gateway to his life. His resurrection means he has the power now to convey his life to me. When I was born again from above, I received the risen Lord, his very life. Our Lord's resurrection destiny is to bring many sons to glory. The fulfilling of his destiny gives him the right to make us sons and daughters of God. We are never in the relationship to God that the Son of God is in, but... We are brought by the Son into a relationship, into his sonship. When our Lord rose from the dead, he rose to an absolutely new life. To a life he did not live before. He was incarnate. 
He rose to a life that had never been before. And his resurrection means that for us, we are raised to his risen life, not to an old life. I'm going to stop there. The resurrection, Jesus' exodus, as I said in a moment, we'll read the scripture that says that, was the topic of conversation on that mountaintop. Now, there are several times in instances in the Bible that I've longed to be, you know, the proverbial fly on the wall. One I've always wished, and you say it's a foolish wish, okay, my wish. I'd like to have been over in the corner of the upper room. Because you see, they spent a long time there. There was a lot of other things said among a group of men. Imagine these men traveling with Jesus, being persecuted, watching everything that he did. They loved this man. And just a few hours later, in spite of all of the instructions, all of the things they saw, they would flee. Peter would either deny him. Another place I'd like to be a fly buzzing around was on that mountain. Because you see, the scripture does not record why they were saved. But here are two men, Elijah and Moses, in their a resurrected body. They had been resurrected from the dead, standing there in a way that Peter could recognize her. And the gist of that resurrection is what this man Oswald said in this day. Jesus rose to a life that he had never lived before. And because of his resurrection, he imparts his life into our lives. And just as baptism is this picture of the regeneration, the dying, the submersion into the water, being covered, your breath, you're not breathing, you're there underwater. It's a symbolic of the death that you, you die to your old self when you come to Jesus Christ. When you come out of that water, you, if you've ever watched baptism, people go, oh, and they breathe. It's like new life coming into them all of a sudden. And that life from the time Christ enters your life is a completely different life than anyone has ever lived. Now listen, I'm going to be the first to tell you standing here that that new life is a struggle. If, you know, as Joe said, that you can go to YouTube and you can find out a lot of other crazy views. And I don't know what kind of Christian life they're living, but the one I'm living in is a battle. And that battle is not only with the things of the world, but the battle is with me. Because, you see, Satan is a very poor loser. And he will do anything in his power to discredit you before God and discredit you before man. But, you see, Jesus Christ is the one who is our advocate. When Satan condemns us before the Father, and if you don't think that happens, go back to the book of Job. When the sons of men came before God, Satan was also there and he began to accuse his servant Job. Satan accuses us. It's hard on us because we realize that we're guilty and we realize that that past that he brings up is an absolute truth of one time in our life. But sometimes we forget that that is an old life that we left in the grave. God's forgiveness is forever. He died once for all 
for all times, for all sins. And God is not a God that keeps an account book so that when you blow it, he turns back to a certain day in your life and accuses you of things you've done. The forgiveness of God is complete. And in this new life, we begin to struggle just like newborn babies to learn how we live this new life because it's not a life like we have ever lived before. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh I live by faith in the blessed Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A picture of our life. Why do you think when the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray? He began to say that you glorify our Father in heaven. Hallowed, holy be your name. The emphasis is may your name be hallowed, holy in my life. And it goes on and says, lead us not in temptation. Basically, that means do not allow us to be led into temptation. How does that occur? Because of the spirit of God that is in us. You know, these uh, trucks, industrial trucks, when they back up, they ding, ding, ding. And if you've ever been walking in a parking lot, you hear that, you better look around because there's a big truck going to be backing up. That's kind of like the Holy Spirit works. He's warning, curve ahead. He begins to to try to show us a way that we don't be confronted with temptation. Listen, I've heard people say, "Ah, let that temptation come on. Well, bless your heart. Uh, There was a guy one time, he was a magician, and he saw... Uh, Peter and John, Paul, they were casting out demons. And he said, I'm going to try this. And so he went to a demon-possessed dude. And he said, in the name of the one Paul preaches, come out. Guess what? He came out. A bunch of them. And they beat him up. And the last time you saw him, he is the first streaker that occurs in the Bible because they stripped him of his clothes and he began to run from them. The way you confront sin is simply through the power of God and just stop. But I know there's times that we don't. And there are sins that you may be remembering right now. I want to tell you, the life that we have in Christ is a life we've never lived before. And every day that we breathe, God gives us a fresh piece of paper to write our life's events on. One bad moment don't destroy our lives. And one great moment doesn't make us heroes for life. But just as Jesus rose. And you see that resurrection of Jesus is important. Oh, the crucifixion when Christ bore the sins of the world. And, you know, sometimes we need to think about when we say the sins of the world, that's kind of abstract and out there. Folks, if you are in relationship with Jesus, your sins were on the cross. And so it was my sins and your sins that he bore. Why? In order to remove the wrath of God. God is a loving God. He does not want any to perish, but God hates sin. 
And when you read the Word of God, you see God's reaction to those who continually walk in rebellion. But those of us in Christ, because when Christ was resurrected, alive, 500 witnesses, people that saw him walking, talking, eating, because of that, he guarantees to us a new life. So when we come to Christ, old things are passed away. All things become new. That happens both instantaneously and it happens as we live our life. Instantaneously, before the eyes of God, we are a new creation. Old things are gone. As we live our life every day, we learn to live and walk in that newness of life. The resurrection, the exodus of Jesus was a point of conversation. Look at uh, Luke chapter 9. About eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went. And upon the mountain pray. And he was there praying. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus. Luke's the only one that explains part of that conversation. Spoke of his excellence, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Let's finish that up. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one to you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. I can remember being in school. And, you know, the reading assignments. I had three children. I coached Little League ball. Pastored full-time, went to school full-time. And every once in a while, the spirit would come over me. And my eyelids just kind of drift. You wouldn't go into a sound sleep, but it's just drifting. And all of a sudden, I could hear my name being called. Well, I learned if I was a New Testament, I would say, Paul or Peter. I figured I had a 50-50 chance of that being the answer. If I was an Old Testament, I would say, Abraham, Moses, you know, 50-50 shot of that would be the answer. Because I, I wasn't really completely asleep. I was just kind of dull. And that's where Peter, James, and John were. Now, can you imagine being on the mountain with Jesus and getting sleepy? Well, listen, all you have to do is fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, look, my hour's come. And I am heavy. I I need you to watch and pray. He'd walk off, they'd go to sleep. He'd walk back, they'd wake up. He'd walk off, they'd go to sleep. Being what I call asleep at the wheel. And if there's a problem that we have in the church, 
in this world today is I believe we as Christians have gone to sleep at the wheel. Have you ever been going on a long trip and suddenly you realize you've gone 10, 15 miles and you haven't really realized anything around you and you just kind of snap and you want to act like you don't scare your wife or you act like I've been here all the time. Being asleep at the wheel, these guys missed out on a conversation. Jesus brought them there for a purpose, and yet they were heavy with sleep. And I believe today that we have been asleep for a long time. You know, I hear people every day say, you know, the power is gone from the church. That seems to be the exodus excuse for people who are looking for another place to go. You know, it can't be that I'm, there's just something wrong with me and the preaching really convicts me. I, I just don't feel the spirit. I don't see the power of God. And, and, you know, that may sound highly spiritual. But let me say something to you. You're not going to find that spirit. You're not going to see the power of God in your house. If you're sitting home week after week, you're, you're just not going to see it. But let me tell you how you can see it. Be a part of a group of people who buy tennis shoes for a group of kids that's going to start school that have never in their life owned a pair of tennis shoes except maybe three sizes too small. When you see the joy in that face, be a part of packing meals and understand that someone is going to eat when they haven't eaten for a long time. Go on a mission trip Talk to people who have never heard the name of Jesus and tell them about what we celebrate this week. Jesus Christ died for them in order that their sins are washed away. And they not only have life in abundance now, but they have life eternally. And you watch the joy as it comes over their face. The power is gone in many lives because you're not exercising the power that is in us. There's a scripture that convicts. The first part of it's good. It says, for he, God, can do exceedingly, abundantly. I always add, greater than my mind can imagine. Now, that's good, isn't it? Doesn't that encourage you when you need something? Jesus can go beyond what I can think about. But then it finishes, it says, according to the power that is within you. See, that brings it right down. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his death and his resurrection guaranteed for us a new life we've never lived before. A life of adventure. A life of giving instead of hoarding. A life of serving instead of being served. He showed us joys that money in the bank and 401ks cannot bring to pass. And that's the joy and that's the peace that comes from knowing that whether you blow it today or this day is pretty good. We have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ. I believe power will be restored to the church when the church operates under the gift that's given to us by the Spirit. 
when the church gives beyond their means, when the church goes further than you've ever been before, when the church spends time in prayer seeking God to change. That's that. Go ahead. Give God a hand. That's that God of that resurrected life. Yeah, you know, you a Christian for a long time and sometimes you do go to sleep at the wheel. You don't realize there's really a lot of things around you until now. What has it taken two years for people to not watch the news because it's so bad and so false that it simply makes you want to fold your paper and go back to bed. I want to tell you, we live in a time still when the good news of Jesus Christ trumps the bad news of this world. That's the importance of this resurrection. I would say to you, it's the importance of inviting someone to Easter services. It's the importance because somehow it seemed, I know before I was lost, uh, uh, before I was a Christian, I would, I would hit church on Mother's Day, uh, Father's Day, uh, Christmas if I had to. If the kids were in a play, I'd go. And Easter, because those were kind of like special days. And it was like, okay, I'll go now. And Easter is somewhere around April, and I want to have to get back to maybe Mother's Day or Christmas. And there's a lot of people who live their life that way. They're not mean people. But you see, just going, they don't see a reason. I think Jason told you that 80 to 90% of the people who come to church come for one reason. Someone said, come to church. I've got my grandfather here. I kiddingly call him my grandfather. Uh, He was invited today and there he sits. You see, we have something to give. Just like Jesus did. Don't forget the scripture said Jesus gave his life. And when I consider that Jesus Christ gave his life for a bum like me, how can I not praise his name? How can I not share that what you may see may look bad? But Jesus is the God of the dark valley. And at the end of that valley, there's always a light because Christ is the light. This morning, two guys from the dead planned with Jesus. Jesus exit. And that's very important. Because the life of Christ exit, his resurrection and then ascension to heaven's is the assurance of all that God has promised us from Genesis to Revelation. This morning, if you've never experienced that new life in Christ, life can get to be pretty drudgery. You don't really have no hope. And as I look around this room, most people are gray-haired or... No hair, one or the other. You know, we don't have that 40-year plan for our life. And in fact, if someone here is 20, 
they're not guaranteed a 40-year plan for your life. See, the time and the hour is now. When the voice of Jesus calls you from where you are, he's not saying, here's a list of what I want you to do in order for you to follow me. He's simply saying, believe. Come to me. I finished the work. I paid for your sin. I rose from the dead in order to give you that life. Today probably be the most important day of your life. Christian friend, has life got sluggish? How involved are you? You know, for so long we were locked down. But you know what? It's, it's a new day. It's time to enjoy the fellowship of believers. Paul said to us, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's power, there's synergy. Just seeing someone. This morning may be a time to recommit your life to service. Listen, you may be retired from your job, but you're not retired from God's service. This morning, we're going to have a place that you can come and people will pray with you for any needs you have. Maybe that prayer is just a recommitment. Maybe you want to pray that right there. You've never received Christ as your Savior. I'll be over here with some others. You can come talk to us. We'll be glad to talk to you. This morning, the question is, what do you do with what God has said in his word? What do we do with it? Fathers, we come to you. We thank you for an offer that is both steadfast and sure. We thank you for the life, Lord, that you have given us. We pray for forgiveness of our sins, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord, that we walk away. And I pray that today is a new day in the life of everyone that is here this morning. In Christ's name, amen.